They promise to change the way people work and eventually how they live. But bold visions cannot beat reality sometimes. The unconventional co-founders at WeWork charted a meteoric growth that wowed investors and sent the company's value up to $47 billion, one of the highest ever for a startup. But reality did bite. Their plans to go public were halted back in September. Investors were concerned about its valuation, and it looks like it's running out of cash. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National's newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Kelsey Warner, our feature editor, is back in the studio. Good to have you back, Kelsey. Good to be here. Nice break. Good break. I'm bringing some weird jet lag energy to the studio today. I will try to keep it on point. Good. Okay. <laughs> Glad to hear it. You'll be professional. <laughs> yeah. We know that. Um, before we get into WeWork, which is a fascinating story um, that we've touched upon before, but we will really sort of do a deep dive, if you like. Um, let's talk about another development this week, which is uh, the plane maker Boeing, the US uh, plane maker that is, uh, has partnered up with Porsche of Germany or Porsche, depending on, on how you pronounce it. I've, I've always so been a Porsche person. That's that's good. I can take you seriously. Coming, Moving from the US to the UAE, I, I was told Porsche is how. You can't live in the UAE and pronounce it Porsche, apparently. All these fancy says, people. Says who? I don't know. Well, we digress. Anyway. anyway yeah. It's a, <laughs> we can do a whole other podcast of Porsche versus Porsche. Um, they are together, Boeing and Porsche, going to develop a fully electric flying vehicle. And they're going to create an international team to study the future of premium personal urban air mobility. It's a mouthful. It is. But this is this idea of flying cars, which people like. But first, I want to address um, whether the very definition actually is correct. Can you even have a flying car? The minute it takes it, off, it's no longer a car. Is it? What is it? They say is it, it is electric ver vertical takeoff and landing. All right. Well, that's ridiculous. They clearly haven't. Vehicle or we, car. We haven't branded this yet I to be. Okay. So. Right. So Porsche and Boeing are in a non-binding agreement now to explore the ways in which unpiloted aircraft can take the skies from the road. And looking at the video, it's it these vehicles take off vertically. So there's no runway. So there's no real estate taken up to, you know, for an airport or something. Something like this could take off directly from a building, directly from a parking space. Um but it's an interesting Boeing capturing headlines in a different way this this week with um, with its Porsche lineup. Um, one of the things I saw was the question is: Is this just a flying car for rich people? Uh, what does this mean for mobility? Like, you know, I mean, hopefully everyone will be rich by the time flying cars <laughs> by the are, time are ubiquitous. So we're all taking them, right? It, it's interesting though because they're kind of leapfrogging. So there's all of this research into autonomous vehicles and Boeing, Airbus, Audi, Porsche have all gotten into the race saying autonomous vehicles are one thing. Let's do autonomous flying cars. Yeah. Uh, totally jumping over the fact that Tesla, Volvo, Ford and the like have not actually mastered just a vehicle on the road safely navigating, let a alone. Autonomous. I mean, because there's, I think there's three things at work here. One is electric. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about something that doesn't work on fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Number two is um, autonomous, which, you know, we're, we're, they're looking into autonomous on land, air, and sea. Mm -hmm. 
And then you have the flying bit, right. which is tempting. I, I think it's tempting, but how many of us naturally, and, and, and this isn't to, to, to kind of undermine what Boeing and, and Porsche are doing, like concept cars in the motor industry for decades, they're helping to evolve, to innovate. So I'm not saying this is, this is not um, no, this worthwhile. Is, this is their moonshot. But but yes, and it isn't because whatever technology they innovate there, that might have other applications. So it might help them move along, and they, and they're doing it together, and they're sharing the R and D, and they both have different areas of expertise. It makes a lot. It makes a lot of sense. And who knows if I was speculating upon speculation of where does a partnership partnership like this go? Then you know what about merger one day? Mm. You know, a merger between. Plane makers and car makers. Right. Becoming one in the same because yes. ultimately. It's all a, a transport solution. Right. right. One of the leading minds at Porsche or Boeing said that this was the third dimension of travel, which I. Should scare you. It's, yeah, this was, it was a little scary. And I was trying to understand what the definition of third dimension of travel might be. Is it that it's autonomous, electric and flying? I mean. Or what? What is that? I I think I think we, I think he's just making stuff. He's up. just making stuff up. Yeah, to to sound cool. <laughs> it sounded pretty cool. I mean, it's already cool. So Porsche, Boeing, flying cars, mm-hmm. but he had to kind of yeah go a little further and make it even more futuristic. But their main competitor right now is Audi, Airbus, which have teamed up to create right. kind of a similar. And they actually beat them to they had a miniature model of a proof of concept that flew at a conference last December. Um, and that basically looked like a Audi concept car driving directly yeah. into a frame that essentially looked like a drone and then being lifted up by this drone and flying, you know, around the conference stage. It's, it's, it's all it's all very exciting. It's very futuristic. Um, space age, sci-fi movie territory. I like the most the most compelling aspect of it is we're almost full circle 100 years later after sort of you know the beginnings of commercial aviation the beginnings of of sort of cars being all over the roads mm-hmm. a lot of these companies used to make planes then they made cars and now they might make planes again so you know this sort of evolution there's there's a sort of a lot of synchronicity in it um but it's serious so deloitte they had a study they said that the 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 market for um, this could be worth $17.7 billion in 2040 for these flying vehicles, with not including sort of cargo. But Which for, seems for like people. kind of a moving target at this point. Because yeah, we it's were, small, right? We, and it, you, but right, it's serious. It seems reasonably, relatively small. And we were promised autonomous vehicles by 2020. Everyone's pushed the goalpost on that. Um, it is exciting that we're now seeing these prototypes and these sort of miniature models of um I, no, no human has actually experienced one of these <laughs> technologies well, yet. If we get it, if we start working towards passenger, but in the meantime, we start using them for freight and cargo, mm-hmm. not only does that free up congestion on our roads, but you know, potentially you know, reduces carbon emissions if these are all you know, based on non-fossil fuel um, mm-hmm. vehicles. Um, it saves us time. Um, and actually gets us allows us to to take time to prepare the reg, the regulation the safety understand what it means to have loads of these things flying around all the time um, and then they really can be autonomous if it's cargo we, we just worry about them dropping out of the sky on people yeah so where's your skepticism Steph? I was expecting skepticism from you here today well yeah on passengers okay that is a hundred years away 
maybe yeah. more, maybe 200 years, that I works. would say, before we have flying <laughs> autonomous right. You'll be my first call for my flying for, car. For people, because medical science would advance so much, I'll still be alive. I'll be 99% <laughs> robot, but 1% human, mm. which is all that matters. Right. But I still won't get into a flying vehicle. Okay. You heard it here. I might fly before I get into a <laughs> flying vehicle myself. Um, but it could, you know, again, it, it's a, it points to, to what's happening in the future. From the first day that we started we work, it was about bringing people together. We're cultivating a culture of kindness. There is a mass of human beings that actually care about the planet and want to impact it. Our goal has always been to build more than beautiful office spaces. We wanted to unlock the potential for individuals to pursue their purpose. We've created a physical world equivalent of a digital platform. Those were the voices of the co-founders of WeWork, uh, the company that has sort of pioneered very fashionable, tech-enabled co-working spaces around the world. Um, that little clip gives you a flavor of what the company was about, or is about, or what they, what they hope it's trying to evoke. Um, the question is today, um, WeWork or, or the We Company, which it sits under, which also includes the brands uh, We Live, We, we Grow, Rise. We're not joking. These are all, all we companies. Um, Malays, the malaise of, 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 of this company in recent weeks, is it an isolated ca case, Kelsey, um, that is particular to this company? Or are we seeing a wider bearish shift? No, it's not. I, so I think what actually happened was WeWork, the We company, had one of the worst timed prospectus documents maybe in tech history so far from the people that brought you Uber, the Fire Festival, Theranos, all of these sort of recent memory cautionary tales of you, millennial you're putting, hubris. You're putting Uber in with the Fire Festival and Theranos. Uh, yeah. it's, a so, it's a bit unfair. So, so right, okay, so we've got this disparate, this, this, these yeah. disparate parts, but I think the overall mood of the U.S., in this yes, moment. Yes, fair, fair enough. Uh, yeah. speaks, you know, speaks to the sort of the In late the August, yeah. when the Wee Company issued their um, S1, and it was expected, I think there was this national mood of, oh, here we go again, a little bit, that uh, we didn't realize we had in us until we saw the Wee Company's company ethos and thought to ourselves, what the heck are they talking about? Because they really didn't pioneer co-working or co-living. They... Um, you know, interior design has been around for a very long time. Apps have been around for a very long time. No nothing that they've really done when you really look at their business model um, has transformed anything, I would argue. So the IPO was supposed to inject billions into the company. The company is currently having a cash crisis. Much needed billions of yes. dollars into the company. But it was, um, it, it was, it was not, I don't think it was plan A, the IPO. There was the plan A was go back to SoftBank, which is its biggest shareholder, mm -hmm. which and already owns about thirty percent. Has already put in about ten billion dollars via the Vision Fund, which includes investors from this region. Right, and its Vision Fund investors said to SoftBank, "Can we backpedal on maybe throwing good money, bad money after good?" Um, well, we don't know the nature of it, right? Of why, but but certainly the impression is is that plan A was SoftBank would continue to fund WeWorks really rapid expansion. Mm -hmm. And then when that didn't happen, they said, okay, we'll go to the markets. Right, which that publicly didn't come through. WeWork had publicly, there had been rumors within the industry that 
SoftBank was going to come through with a transfusion of cash. That didn't come through publicly. And then within a few months, that prospectus came out. So it was a bit of a high wire act for them to come out and say, you know, this is, we're going to try to go public here. So the reports, the most recent reports are talking about um, JP Morgan potentially setting up $1.75 billion in financing to see them through to the end of the year. It's also in discussions uh, for bonds, secured, unsecured, for over $3 billion. Um, it's trying to get more money out of SoftBank still. Could be a billion dollars there. Um, so this is not a small amount of money. And partly because they ramped up their growth uh, to open up facilities, these co-working spaces. According to Reuters, on October the 10th, they had 622 sites open in 123 cities. At the end of June, only a few months before, it was 528 locations in 111 cities. So even in a few months, they were still growing rapidly, really, really quickly, which could explain why the cash burn has yeah. become a real issue. Real moment. estate is expensive, and real estate is particularly expensive in urban areas where you've got um, you know, a competitive freelance work environment and you know, you're spending thousands of dollars on fit outs. Yeah. Yeah. So so according to the the June third year the year to June thirty, so the first half of the year, WeWork's expenses were two point nine billion dollars with revenue of about one point five four billion. The their loss was nine nine hundred and five million dollars, close to a billion, and they had about two and a half billion dollars of cash as of the first half, which isn't enough at all to see it through. Um, and and I guess it, why this has been such an interesting story, not just because of growth, not just because of, of you know, the IPO, not just because SoftBank were interested, but the founders themselves are kind of unconventional. Unconventional, I guess, if you're talking generally about CEOs of mm -hmm. listed companies, and but perhaps maybe they're more indicative of the new breed of entrepreneur. I think Adam Newman, he had a cult of personality, but couldn't necessarily back it up with a Jobsian uh, knack for building beautiful products or an Elon Musk proclivity for bad scientist ideas that actually work sometimes. Um, Adam Newman, you know, is a purveyor of office space. He's not, and yet he talks as though he's about to send us all to Mars with the WeWork family. You know, like it, it doesn't, the reality of the business of WeWork doesn't pencil out with the reality of Adam Newman's persona sometimes. So the, he's interested. I want to get to him in a moment as well as the other co-founders because co I, I think you can't look at the WeWork story without looking at the personalities. Mm -hmm. But the actual concept itself, the, what came first, right? Did WeWork with these super funky co-working spaces herald in, a sort of new way of thinking of, you know, office space, if you like, or we're changing attitudes in the workplace, changing needs, the financial crisis creating, you know, that idea we need flexibility, we don't want to be bedded into office space for years and years and years, plus many more startups, tech-related firms needing more flexible co-working space while they're small, that sort of created the need for a WeWork. Sure. Yet the language was, WeWork has done this. Not, not 
we are responding to a demand. No, and I mean, there is plenty of pent-up demand for co-working and co-living spaces, and there are less splashy business models out there than we work who are succeeding in this space. This is not to say that co-working and co-living are doomed ventures. But, but can we say co-living isn't like living with another person? This is like yeah, dorm- excuse dormitories. Excuse me. Let's, yeah, let's de-jargon. Because you're, yeah. you're a millennial. I'm you're already, a millennial. You understand sure. this. So if you, co-living you, is basically fancy dorms. Yes. Um, so and, it's, it's the college living experience extended into working life. Yeah. I mean, as I understand it from people I know who are part of these communities in Boston and elsewhere, um, they do kind of become their own sort of fraternities or sororities, um, very sort of a campus-like feel. And it's a real affinity group of people who are cohabitating. And so they're, you know, they're going to events together. The place that they're living is hosting dinners and brunches and whatever it is. Um so it does develop a culture, but that culture doesn't necessarily have to be as expensive as what WeWork has endeavored. You, you may not know the answer to this, but a- apart from we live dormitories, are these actually organically happening yeah. elsewhere that aren't sort of so common, communes? Sure. So Common is another venture that's very similar to the we live um, sort of business model. Uh, I think... There and, and this is also a very replicable business model. So I think to the CBREs of the world are looking at this. There was a, I think a Wall Street Journal story a couple of weeks ago about companies that looked at the WeWork prospectus and basically saw a blueprint for how they could refit out right. Surf their empty Corp spaces. And Regis exactly are, are doing the same thing. Sure, basically, yeah. And WeWork, um, I think, really got out ahead of itself. And you have to point to the founders. In terms of how that happened, well, let, you, you say we have to point the founders. So, Adam Newman, the Israeli charismatic, according to his wiki, grew up severely dyslexic. Also, spent time on a kibbutz as well, with a sort of that commune feel, mm-hmm. but highly entrepreneurial. Mary is a cousin of Gwyneth Paltrow. Is that right? Yes. So Rebecca Newman, his wife, is Gwyneth Paltrow's cousin? Is, is Rebecca Paltrow Newman. Is, is that right? It's okay. quite right. So, Because um, I saw she was an actress. Yes. But I didn't realize that there was From some, the family. some pedigree. Yeah, she's, part, she's part of the family. Okay. So, um, she's Blythe Danner's niece then. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so she studied architecture. No, she didn't study architecture. That's the other guy. That's Miguel. But she, she went to Cornell and studied Buddhism and business. Mm-hmm which you would expect a Paltrow to have studied. Yeah, exactly. Mindfulness. Yes. Very important. But then she was also an investment banker at Solomon Smith Barney for a bit. Yeah. So she's all over the place in terms of her CV. Right. And um, investors cautioned Newman against naming her CMO, and he scoffed and did it anyway. Um, so there were early instances of Adam kind of, you know, thumbing his nose at common wisdom. And it seemed to work while, you know, investors were throwing money at it and it seemed really fashionable and it's co-working spaces. So everyone's like, I'm in a WeWork, you know. Yeah. It, no, it, it, it meant something, right? And yeah. And, and we were, I think we were all part of the, um, you know, the tech media and investors and those who went to work at WeWork were all part of this hype machine that then when rubber had to meet the road for the IPO, everyone was like, well, wait a minute. And that, that's sort of when the betrayal against Adam Newman began. But, but I think that that had to have happened because, like you said, if you talk about the IPOs for Uber or Slack, the heat had come out of the market a bit. Totally. The general uncertainty, global uncertainty, you know, the 
political economic situation isn't quite what it was. So then people are going to look closer at WeWork. They're not they're right. not, not certain it's going to be a home run just because it's got a strong brand. Plus, did we finally wake up to the fact that WeWork, despite investors treating it like a tech company based on its growth, mm-hmm. isn't really a tech company? Right. And then you start have, you have to sort of question what makes a tech company a tech company because just because you have an app or you use technology to fit out your spaces. So WeWork came out with this commercial that really shows like the construction process of their spaces and they've got like drones flying down the hallway and like lasers pointing at different things. And it suggests, but just because you use technology doesn't make you a tech company. Yeah. Everybody is tech enabled. Right. So it's a tech enabled real estate company ultimately, or not even a real estate company because they don't own much of what they rent. Interior design company. They're basically, yeah, they're a tastemaker. So Miguel McKelvey, who's another co-founder, who's actually Adam Newman's friend mm-hmm. for a long time, they they worked on Green Desk together, which was the precursor to WeWork, did the same thing, but much smaller scale. He studied architecture. He does all the fit outs. Okay. He's the one who chooses the coffee table books. Right. They're beautiful coffee table yeah. books. So sort of, a lot of this reminds me of, not in a direct way, but sort of the feeling of, if you've read Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead, sort of this kind of belief in the aesthetic mm-hmm. and the importance of that and sticking to it no matter what. Yeah. And, and the kind of, the, the and I guess the brutal realities of of commerce and the world being maybe slightly less than idealistic. Well, I think- Coming home. Yeah. I mean, WeWork also came up in a time when, you know, influencers are capable of making hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year. And WeWork is practically too, I think, almost an influencer- of this moment, but at a really large scale, because people do look to the WeWork Instagram to kind of think of that aspirational millennial pink, you know, latte art type vibe. But then when they went to go IPO, this whole concept, you know, it turns out to be made of just air. So um, Mr. Newman, who's no longer chief executive, was forced out. out during the IPO process because he was controlling or the investors were worried about his, his the direction he was taking and he he had a net worth not so long ago of 4.1 billion dollars um that was march according to forbes um that's that i mean that that's pretty pretty big um they took off three and a half billion dollars from that estimate right since been gutted from the ipo after the ipo he took out 700 million dollars in cash for himself pre he took out more cash than he's worth now Mm-hmm. Apparently, according, I mean, he's, unless he spent, unless Forbes know he spent most of that cash, right? The, I mean, again, it, it kind of makes me think how Forbes estimating a lot of this net worth, but that's another conversation. But um, he he did cash out before the float, um, and he's now not involved day to day. There's a couple of new CEOs, mm-hmm. R.T. Minson, Sebastian Gunningham, who are reportedly talking about job cuts. Right. So of the 15,000 current employees, they're talking about cutting 2,000 employees. And these two new CEOs are guys who were executives at WeWork um, previously. They're not They're not newcomers. Uh, so actually, I kind of question the wisdom of ousting Newman to replace him with the pre-existing CFO and another top executive, given what we know about WeWork and so like I just where do they go from here? So I, I mean his ne- his name had just become toxic, being associated with management, and they just had to to move him along. Doesn't necessarily say that they 
dislike the strategy, right? Or that they don't believe so in, what, in what the company's doing. It's just he he was a problem to have around, mm -hmm. basically. Apparently, um, it's still it's still a company that's less than ten years old, right? Nine years old, and you assume that if management were talented enough to get it to this point, is there any sense that this is? And I guess we're asking this question now. Is there any sense that this is going to be an unstoppable spiral? Or, or or can it at least write itself that maybe it isn't such a stellar growing darling of 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 the markets, but is in fact just a normal company? I don't I mean, I think they're going to be the butt of jokes for a while yet. And as we were walking into the studio, there was news that um they'd sent out this mass email about formaldehyde in uh telephone booths in a few of their locations. Um so the amount of just sort of like leaking of random facts about WeWork that are sort of damaging reputationally. I mean, before anyone, that could have just been a passing anecdote of it was a mistake in construction, we move on. Now all of these things sort of start to compound and it feels like, you know, everything is a massive embarrassment. And employees within WeWork are now saying no work is getting done. Things have sort of ground to a halt while everyone is sort of in this like what happens next limbo the cash situation is really the most precarious part of it if it gets enough cash to look to survive the year it's got a chance if it doesn't then all these stories will be will continue to be sort of lessons right and the schadenfreude we can yes, all feel will yeah. be um will, will fuel us all forward interestingly we ran a piece um from one of the wires this week saying that the tenants don't care i mean this is the, this is the, the their their strength which was offering flexibility is now becoming their weakness because for tenants, they can just ditch right. any time they want. Right. So, I mean, that should be a huge red flag. That should be the big thing keeping executives up at night is, you know, any signal that we're running out of cash by the next quarter, they're going to start losing tenants. But that was the whole point. The whole point was people didn't want to be stuck with these big contracts that that because there's so much uncertainty because what's happening, especially if you're, you know, a startup fast growing, you don't want to have this hanging around your neck. So, they're still delivering on that promise, mm -hmm. which is, you know, light on burden, high on experience, I guess. Right. Which could prove to be their undoing. But maybe it could save them too, because it's not like tenants are trying to flee, right? At this point, in a normal situation, you'd have tenants taking them to court, trying to break contracts, trying to get out of stuff. Mm -hmm. But there isn't that expectation that, you know, these five-year or 10-year tenants are going to stick around right mm -hmm. so that that's that ha that fundamentally hasn't changed so their business model actually isn't affected they just got to temper their growth a little bit and stop trying to grow like a tech company yeah which is what they were trying to look like yes they were trying to they were putting on the the whatever the costume is yeah we're in halloween we're near halloween we're near so halloween, i can use yeah. this analogy whatever the costume is of a tech company they were wearing it hard right yeah but it just fooling no one. And I wonder if Adam Newman is now nostalgic for Green Desk. I, I doubt he's learned a single lesson. If we, anything we know about <laughs> these entrepreneurs who make it big no, and, it, quickly, they learn nothing. Yeah. <laughs> he's about to go found a different but very similar exactly, work. Exactly. Kelsey, thanks so much for being with us. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Before we finish, uh, here are the other stories you should uh, go and read on the national.ae. Uh, house price values continue to fall across Abu Dhabi in the third quarter of the year, but with the decline in rental values slowing, the yields on offer to investors have increased. That's according to the property consultancy ValueStrat. 
French utility Angie is looking at growing its portfolio in district cooling in the Middle East, as it also looks to actively bid on renewables projects in the region. And JP Morgan is undeterred by a slowdown in Middle East economies and sees long-term growth for its businesses in the region as sovereigns and corporates continue to issue debt, attract investment, and drive mergers and acquisitions. That's it for today. If you've enjoyed this show, please do subscribe, leave a review also. All that remains is to thank the production team, Arthur Edison, Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time.